Hey guys, this is Scott Ferrioli from Buy and Sell DBC.com. If you're thinking about purchasing Disney Vacation Club, we highly encourage you to go onto Facebook and do a search for our Facebook group, Disney Vacation Club Resales DVC. It's the only page on Facebook that's dedicated to purchasing Disney Vacation Club through the resale market. Hello and welcome to this episode of the WWE Podcast. I am your host for today. My name is Pete. You know my co-hosts, Chris. How are you? I'm doing awesome. And Stacy. I'm doing great. Good to hear. Uh, if you guys have been listening regularly, like I hope you all have, you know our last show was part one of our How to Be a Disney Historian with Jim Corcus. Today, you are going to get to experience part two of How to Learn How to Be a Disney Historian with the man that coined the phrase Disney Historian, Jim Corcus. Uh, so... Bob Thomas wrote a book called Walt Disney, uh, an American original because the company wanted, um, an official biography of Walt out there. They had, they had gone to two other authors that just couldn't capture that. But Bob of course knew Walt and the company was very upset because a biography had come out called, uh, the Disney version by uh, writer Richard Schickel who worked for, for time magazine and Schickel was denied access to the Disney studio, so the only people he could talk to were those people who had a grudge against the Disney studio, you know, people who had been fired or let go or whatever. And, and so some of that uh, nonsense and urban myths that we have there that, well, Walt, you know, was anti-Semitic and all that, was, was coming from these people who didn't work with Walt you know, on a day-to-day basis, but had been let go from the company for, for whatever reason. And so the company wanted one out. Bob Thomas, being a man of integrity, said, I will do the book, but I will not do a puff piece. I have to have no restrictions. I'm going to approach this as a reporter. Mm-hmm. And they said, that's okay. He says, nothing gets changed from the book. They said, that's okay. And so he had full access to everything at the Disney studio. He had full access to all of the Disney family. He is the only author who has had that. And so he did interviews with people who are no longer here, not interviewed by anybody else and all this. And he put together this book and it's a good, solid book. It doesn't glorify, uh, uh, Walt. And, and again, you know, because it, it mentions things like Walt's nervous breakdown and all that. But he doesn't dwell on those things, you know, so it's not like a tabloid. It's not like National Enquirer or, or whatever. So it's a good, solid, accurate for its time, you know, biography of, the, you know, you want to know about Walt Disney, you want to know the solid information so that you can use this as a litmus test to, to compare, you know, with other biographies, uh, uh, other things. So I always tell people, you know that is, that is a, a good place uh, uh, to start, and and of course for the Disney films, um, you know Leonard Maltin's uh, the Disney films is is still a, a good place, and and Leonard's updated it, uh, gosh, at least four times. So there you go. You want to have all? Four. I, I I have a friend who collects old encyclopedia sets, and I looked at him, and he's a writer, and and I said. Listen, you can go on Wikipedia and find this stuff, or all you get is, is, is get the latest encyclopedia set that is out there. And he said, no, Jim, let me show you something. And he went to one of the earliest encyclopedia volumes, pulled it out, flipped open to a page, and he says, what do you see? And I said, 
gosh, I see a, a three-page uh, uh, entry on uh, buggy whips. He says, do you think you will find that in an encyclopedia today? Mm, that's a good point. That's a you good know, point. and again, he, w- he was writing historical novels, so he was finding information that, it, and there's information in encyclopedias, uh, the uh, 1956 edition of Encyclopedia Britannica has a uh, five, six-page article credited to Walt Disney. I'm sure it was done by Joe Reddy, who's in charge of publicity, but it's credited to Walt Disney, talking about Disneyland. Hmm. And there's black and white photos that, again, haven't been reprinted anywhere else. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to start looking in... Uh, not for the usual suspects, but all these other places. If I, if I were interested just in Disneyland, one of the books I would get is The Nickel Tour, you know, by Bruce Gordon and, and David Mumford, who were two um, uh, Imagineers. And they decided to tell the history of Disneyland with the postcards that were released at the park. Oh, wow. That's so cool. they have all they have they have text, but what they have is the illustrations are the postcards, wow. and they use those as springboards to say, this was the Moonliner, and this was sponsored by TWA, and uh, you know uh, uh, Howard Hughes, who owned TWA, you know was uh, uh, so impressed that he built another Moonliner on top of the TWA offices in Kansas City, <laughs> you know. And, and so, you know, uh, and, and again, they, talk, they went to the original sources. They talked to the, uh, these people. So they were the first people who talked to uh, uh, Harper Goff, and they said, well, how did you come up with the design for the Golden Horseshoe Review? And he says, it was the same blueprints that I used for the saloon that I, I designed uh, for the Doris Day movie, Calamity Jane. And so if you take a look at that movie, it's like, that's the Golden Horseshoe Review. Oh, cool. But that's years <laughs> before, the, yeah, you know, because it was the same thing. You, you, you want the same items and all that, and, and again, you're running out of time and all this. How, how are you going to do that? So, there, and again, uh, Gordon and Mumford did, uh, oh, Gosh, uh, maybe about four other uh, books. One of them just on the on the uh, uh, Sherman brothers, you know. Um, so you know, and and again, all of these are are great. Bruce Gordon was uh, Tony Baxter's second in command, and and Bruce Gordon was one of the ones who helped develop um, Splash Mountain. Cool. And again, these are, these are names that you know people don't know. Because, you know, uh, and again, Disney, uh, when Robert Iger came on board, they basically said, no more celebrity Imagineers, no more celebrity animators, Hmm. right? I grew up during that time where I knew, you know, Glenn Keane, Andreas Deja, you know, Eric Goldberg, all of that. I bet that none of you and none of you listening can tell me even one animator who worked on the character of Olaf for Frozen. You're right. You're right. Because Disney doesn't want to publicize that anymore because... It's Frozen. (laughs) (laughs) Frozen is Disney's 401k plan. (laughs) With with the animated sequel coming out and the Broadway play and heaven only knows. And and in fact, isn't it over in... um, uh, Tokyo Disneyland. I, I saw the announcement that they're going to have a Frozen Land oh. uh, o- over there. So, um, yeah, it's Disney. It's, it's one of Disney's four hundred one k plans there uh, for that to happen. Because again, Disney wants it to seem like Disney is the name, not these individual. Right. Yeah. You know, people. You know, that, that's one of the reasons that people like Tony Baxter got you know the shove. Uh, you know, I made, uh, and Marty Scalar as well, you know, made vice president of Rocks and Trees. Yeah. You know, which means they don't get invited to any meetings, uh, uh, no ideas are solicited from them. Uh, you know, you just go on uh, uh, like that. And, and again, you know, as you start to do this, it's like a rock rolling down a, a, a hill. You're 
gathering up momentum because suddenly you're seeing more names. Yeah, yeah. Well, this name is connected with this. This name is connected with that. Okay, here's here's another Disney historian problem for you. Okay, I, I was working on a project uh, about Mickey Mouse because Mickey Mouse celebrating 90th birthday in November, right? And here we are in in July. W- what am I thinking about Mickey Mouse? Well, you've got to think ahead. <laughs> you know, you can't write that article the day before or the week before. You right. can, but it's not going to be any good. You want to, okay, what else can I find out there? What is not there? All, all of that. Okay. Some of you are familiar with uh, the song uh, uh, Minnie's Yoo-Hoo, right? I'm the guy they call Little Mickey Mouse. Got mm-hmm. a sweetie down in the chicken house. Okay. Now, here's my question. That song was used as Mickey's theme song for all of Mickey's cartoons until when? Mm. Now, you go on the Internet, information's not there. I have got a dozen books on on, uh, uh, Mickey Mouse, including my own, the Book of Mouse, but uh, Brian Sibley's book, uh, all all of these other uh, wonderful books there, none of them list when that theme song stopped being underneath the title. So, as a Disney historian, how do you find the answer? You're watching a lot of episodes. I, 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 I hear crickets <laughs> out there, a lot of and, it, it, and it's not Jiminy Cricket. Again, you have to go and back to the original material. So, in my case, I had you know the Disney treasure set, the black and white Mickey's. Mm-hmm. So I sat down and watched the black and my, white Mickey's. You know, in order. You know, fast forwarding through to you know when you know wow. did that theme song uh, stop? And if you don't have the DVD treasures, we have YouTube. Mm-hmm. They're all on there, probably illegally. Yeah, <laughs> but but you go and but then again, the problem is is you've got to find the original version, not not mm-hmm. the version that was then chopped down to three and a half minutes to to use on uh, uh, the Disney Channel. They took all the seven minute uh, short cartoons and chopped them down to three and a half minutes. You know, to run on the Disney Channel. But uh, you go through there and you watch that to go, wait a minute, okay, this, this cartoon doesn't have that theme song. Let's check the next one after that to, to double-check that and then go back. Mm-hmm. And I will help you out. For those of you who are listening and are curious, I will help you out. That theme song, Minnie's Yoo-Hoo, stopped being used sometime in 19... 19- 1933. Now, there's not that many Mickey cartoons released in, in 1933. There's, there's maybe about a dozen or so. But if you're that curious, you'll start at the beginning of 1933 <laughs> and, go and go through and yeah. see where is it. And again, being a Disney historian means you do the work. I wish it were easier. You know, I wish there was a big book of Imagineering. You know, which is why you said all it's a, these answers in it. it you said it's a passion, but, but Jim. It, it's got to be a passion in order for you to get your hands dirty like this and get this invested in a project. You have to be passionate about it. Well, and, and, and again, and sometimes you go through and you won't know what you're looking, what you're really looking for until you find it. You mm. think you're looking for something and you're going through, you know, a magazine article or whatever. You know, we, we talked about local newspapers. Uh, when I wrote the Book of Mouse, you know, I went through uh, old newspapers in um, uh, Los Angeles and in San Francisco because Walt often visited San Francisco. And so you take a look at where did Walt visit because oftentimes he would give interviews, you know, in these various cities and talk about things that he never talked about anywhere else or ever again. Mm-hmm. And, and so in the San Francisco uh, newspaper um, Makes sense. In, from the 1930s, I found this wonderful full-page article about Walt talking about the three little pigs. 
and it's filled with quotes from Walt that appeared nowhere else. Wow. And he never said any of these things ever again. <laughs> no one ever asked a you question. Know? It was a one and done. Wow, that's that. What, what that that's it. You know, and and oftentimes, you know, he he would go he would go to Chicago. He would go to Kansas City, and reporters would you know. Now the other thing you want to do as a Disney historian is uh, again we're we're coming up towards you know um, uh, Walt Disney World's fiftieth, um, you know, and I thought. You know, I really, uh, uh, I'm, I'm working on, on a project here. I really want to use um, a, a quote from Walt from uh, the 1965 uh, press conference that he gave in Orlando where he announced that, yes, Disney is coming. Yeah. Well, yes, on YouTube there are the uh, videos. There is no transcription anywhere there is no transcription in any walt disney world book that i have there is no transcription anywhere on on uh the internet so i had to sit down and i hate transcribing mm -hmm. hate it with a passion i i have tons of interviews and all this that I, I hope someday some person may may hear because i can't sit down there and transcribe because you know, you get a few words, and then you have to rewind, and then you go, and, and even after you get the entire thing, you have to play it again and match it to what you have written, because sometimes you think you heard something, or sometimes, um, even in the 65 press conference, Walt swallowed a word or two, you know, so you go, what is he saying? Yeah. What is he saying? Yeah. And so... I had to, you know, and, and again, it, it's only about 20, 25 minutes, but it took me an entire day yeah, imagine. going through that. And, uh, but I got the information, and, and I will be uh, printing it in, in one of my um, columns that appears in the Internet, so it will exist out there that other people can use it. And, and again... As a Disney historian, you want people to have that information to use. You know, you want you want to share. You don't want people to plagiarize. There, there, there's a very popular website uh, out there, and uh, I write for AllEars.net. And um, Deb Wills, who who owns that, contacted me, and she said, "Did you give them permission to use your stuff that you've been?" sending to me and i said no and i went to this guy's site and sure enough word for word mm. Mm. and and it was like oh geez you know and if he had asked me i i would have i would have shared or you know facts are facts you know so if, if you ha if you come across a fact that nobody else has ever come across before you know and, and you share it out there then yes it, 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 it's free use for, for everybody. But when you take a person's word for word, I, I, I think the worst example that ever happened of plagiarism is somebody took something I wrote, put it on the site, put their name on it, mm -hmm. and it talks about them growing up in Glendale, California with their two brothers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh <gosh>. Your life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, and and what a it, 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 it gets even better than that. I, I wrote to the guy, and I said, and I, and I sent him the link to the original article, which appeared, you know, much earlier than his. And I said, I'm the one who wrote this, and this is my life. And, the, and he wrote back, literally saying, you are insane. You know, I wrote this. I, I got this from a variety of different sources. Oh, my gosh. I, and, and so what are you going to do at that particular point? You know, you go, ah, oh, jeez. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll sue. Well, the best that will happen is you're spending a lot of money, you're spending a lot of time, you're spending a lot of anger, and, yeah, they'll take down the thing. They may not even apologize. Yeah. You know, they'll take down the thing, and as soon as you're not looking, they'll do it again. Put it back up, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, and, and, again, it's, it's like, well, nobody will know Jim Corcus. Nobody will read, you know, this, so who you know, so I always, again, as a Disney historian, it's always important for you to credit your sources, and and not just because yes, 
that's the right thing to do and it's common sense. But, you know, people like that. <laughs> if you do that, they'll help you in the future. And also the fact, if you list, you know, yes, this is from the San Francisco Examiner, uh, August 2nd, 1932, people will go and look for that original source. And, and, right. and, and it might help me, too. If I was looking for a different topic, I would have a stepping stone at that point. Yes. Or, or you would go, well, Jim got that issue. I wonder if the yeah. San Francisco Examiner published anything else about Walt, mm -hmm. you know, especially when he was up there, you know, for the 1939 World's Fair, because there was one in New York, but there was also a competing <laughs> one, you know, up there in San Francisco, yeah. believe it or not. And there was a Disney exhibit at both. It was for Nabisco, and it was the first Disney commercial. They did, it's called Mickey's Surprise Party, and it's done in Technicolor, and it's a, a six, seven-minute film, and basically... Uh, Minnie is, is baking cookies for, for Mickey because he, she wants to make them just the way his mother used to make them. And uh, she has a little uh, a dog, Fifi, and when Pluto comes over, they chase around in the, in, in the kitchen and popcorn spills into the uh, cookie batter and all that. And so when the cookies, you know, finally bake, you know, they start exploding. So it's a war zone in the kitchen. And so Minnie is in tears and Mickey goes, these are exactly the way my mom used to make them. <laughs> and Minnie is still in tears. So he and Pluto rush to the store, and they come back with Nabisco cookies. Mm -hmm. Oreos, Lorna Dunes, and Mickey says, these are my favorites. And uh, milk bone dog biscuits, which I didn't realize were made by Nabisco, and, and all that. And so that was shown at the Nabisco Pavilion at the 1939 World's Fair in San Francisco, and also the um, 1939 World's Fair in uh, New York. And the interesting thing is, when we talk about, you never know what, what you're going to find when you're looking, is when I was researching that, I ran across a newspaper article that at the New York World's Fair, on one day, there was a Donald Duck Day a day devoted just to Donald Duck. Wow. They, they had a day <laughs> devoted just to, to Superman. They had a day devoted, you know, to different things. But there was a... And, and I went through all my Donald Duck books. Nobody's saying it. Well, there's always so much going on in Disney yeah. history yeah. that you can't find everything or you can't find space for everything. So, some people, you know, complain about certain books. They don't realize that, you know, there's only so much space sometimes you, you're, you're uh, allotted. You know, sometimes you can't write a 700-page book. And if you write a 700-page book, people will go, I don't yeah. want to start that. I can't invest in <laughs> 700. Yeah, exactly. Jim, I wanted to, before we talk about, you had two books that just came out today but before or, or just got released recently. It, it just came out the, this week. One yeah. of them is called uh, More Secret Stories of Disneyland. I, uh, last year... On a, on a dare from my um, uh, publisher, he says, you know, so many websites have these uh, secrets of Disneyland, and so many people are, are turning out, you know, uh, uh, these books about, you know, here's secret things at, at Disneyland. He says, I bet you know things that they don't know. And I go, yeah. <laughs> and so I wrote, wrote a book covering, you know, uh, six or seven stories for each land, you know, and and the the background uh, uh, stories for them, and by golly, it really did well. <laughs> okay. And again, you know, I need to sell books to you know sure. uh, pay for my car payment and and the utilities and all that. So I thought, well, I do have some leftover stories. Maybe I can. And so I put together another set, and so uh, more secret stories of Disneyland came out, and, and including. Um, uh, the story of uh, uh, Herb Ryman's uh, Christmas tree, um, which, again, people pass all the time because there's no plaque de defining. Basically, Herb Ryman was the Imagineer who uh, designed New Orleans Square. He's the one who designed Sleeping Beauty Castle, Cinderella Castle. He developed cancer. Um, and uh, it, it was close to the end of the year, and he wanted a... Um, 
uh, a Christmas tree, a live Christmas tree in his room. And so um, his sister bought him a, a, a about a two, three-foot-tall pine tree in a, in a pot in, in his room. And, of course, you know, they had to control the temperature in the room, and, and they were closing the... Uh, uh, it, it was it was darker in the room because because of uh, uh, the health issues that that he was having, and friends would come visit. And Bill Evans, who was a Disney landscaper, came, and he uh, uh, took a look at this, and he goes, "Well, this is going to be dead soon." And suddenly, there's new blossoms coming on on the tree, new growth on, on the tree. And after Christmas, uh, his sister, you know, then tossed the the tree, and Herb went ballistic and so a bunch of them literally had to go out and fight with the garbage man to pull the tree back in and they, they stuck it in in herb's room and herb passed away in in uh, february but the tree was still healthy so bill evans and a bunch of uh, imagineers decided one night they went to disneyland at the side of sleeping beauty's castle you know over by where uh, snow white's grotto is mm-hmm. they dug a hole uh, they opened a bottle of champagne and, you know, drank a toast to Herb, and they tossed in a glass of champagne into the hole, and they, you know, uh, put in the tree, and, and they covered it up. And at that particular point, it started to mist and sort of drizzle wow. uh, a little bit. The tree still exists to this day. Oh. They, they couldn't put a plaque so on cool. it because this is illegal. But but Evans did uh, at one point put on a plaque that said genus uh, artisticus uh, rhymenatus, you know, oh, wow. whatever. But it, it's right there. I, I, I think it's been replaced maybe once or twice. Uh, but um, as it would, since there was champagne in its roots, but uh, it, it's right there. And so that's the type of story that doesn't appear <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. And, uh, again, I, I talked with two of the Imagineers who were there at the planting ceremony, and I talked to uh, somebody who is very, very close to Herb Ryan, because, again, you want to make sure this is a great story, but, you know, is it true? It's a great point. Uh, and so that, that, that's in more secret stories with Disneyland. And then I have the fourth volume of extra secret stories of Walt Disney World. I, I worked at Walt Disney World uh, in, in a a lot of different capacities, but one of the capacities was a, was a, uh, a coordinator with um, uh, the Disney Adult Discoveries Program. Those are the, that was the group that developed things like the Backstage Magic Tour and Hidden Treasures of World Showcase and uh, uh, all of that. You know, basically tours for guests and also, you know, convention groups and whatever. And, and it was there with my manager, Kay Bundy, uh, who established, look, if you're going to write something down, it's got to have at least three independent sources. Because um, I took uh, um, Keys to the Kingdom at, at the Magic Kingdom uh, two, three years ago. Um, and some friends were out, and they said, we want to take this. And I said, well, I've been on the tour, and you know, have fun. And they said, no, no, we're going to pay for you to come on, because we want you to come on and, and tell us the real stories. And I said, well, you know... I, I, I'm never going to embarrass the tour guide and all that. And so we start off, we're, we're about five, ten minutes into the tour, and the tour guide points at the train station and says, right up above there, that's where Walt Disney had an apartment so he could look out at the park. <laughs> now, I will never challenge anybody. The, the best I will go is I will go, you know, I never heard that. The way I heard it was da-da-da-da-da. So there was a quiet moment, and I, I, I came up to her because there was nobody else around, and I said, now you realize Walt passed away in 1966, and the train station, they didn't start building until January 1971. And she looked at me in this condescending way of, oh, this is another Disney geek. And she says, you know, the script was checked and approved. Mm. And then later, we're down in the Utilidors, and she points at a picture of Roy Disney and says, this is Roy Disney on opening day giving the dedication speech. And so, again, in a quiet moment, I went and I said, 
opening day was October 1st, but Roy didn't give the speech until October 22nd. You know, they wanted a couple of weeks to, you know, get things rolling before. And again, it's like, oh, you know, why am I the one? Well, yeah, you again, why am I saddled with you? You know, uh. so so anyway, I, I worked with Kay Bundy. I worked with behind. And so I was gathering all this information because Kay was also setting up interviews with Imagineers and, you know, the people behind all of these things. And I had all of this information and it doesn't exist anywhere else. And I said, we better get this out first off before I forget, (laughs) but also so that other people, you know, uh, can use it. You know, Dave Smith, Dave Smith, another great friend and a a real inspiration uh, to me, you know, uh, uh, started the, uh, uh, he actually created his own job. You know, he he was a, a librarian and he wanted to put together a bibliography of Disney. And he went to Disney. Disney didn't have a bibliography of, of you know, all the magazine articles and books and, and all of that. So when Dave put it together, the Disney company bought it from him. Huh. And then Roy Disney said, you know, we probably need an archivist. Yeah, so you, and it's not just for it. <laughs> the goodness of, you know, oh, you know, it would be nice to know our history and all of that. The primary function of the Disney archives is to work with Disney legal because Disney Legal is involved in three new lawsuits every single day of the year. Wow. So they're either generating a lawsuit or they're protecting themselves from a lawsuit. So they needed to have information in terms of when (laughs) when did this character start? You know, did we renew the copyright on this? Did we, you know... When when did this close? You know, uh, all of those things. That was the purpose of the Disney archives. And so they went to Dave Smith and they said, well, we'd like you to start an archive. And I said, okay. And they said, and how much should we pay you? <laughs> because they had no idea. And, and I always joke with Dave. I said, well, you asked for like a million dollars or something. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. He says, you know, I, I was honest with them. I've always been honest with them. And, and Dave started to look underneath uh, leaking water pipes and all this, and there were, you know, rotted boxes that had things in them and, and all of that and uh, uh, put it together. But the reason he wrote, you know, the Disney Encyclopedia from A to Z is because he said people have a tendency to ask the same type of question. So we had big folders. One big folder was people who had worked at Disney because we were constantly getting, you know, my aunt said she worked at, at Disney. You know, do you know when and, and what she worked on and, and all of that? The other thing that people wanted to know was about the films. When did the film come out? Who, who were the people in the film, you know? And then the third big folder was attractions. When did an attraction open? When did an attraction close? And so Dave said, I wrote, uh, you know, the Disney Encyclopedia so that I would have that at my fingertips. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So I wouldn't have to go through tons and tons of files. I could just flip open the book and I would find, you know, most of the stuff that I needed to find right then and there. Wow. And, uh, in fact, Disney did not have money for photos. So Dave went out with his own camera and took pictures at Disneyland. <laughs> Because he was salaried, so they didn't have to pay him any extra for that. Wow. But that's one of the reasons there are pictures of Disneyland in, in that book. And again, this is storytelling, right? Yeah. Right. And and so now when you take a look at that book, you'll take a look at it differently because it's like, oh, I know the story behind that. Yeah. And that's what Disney historians do is they tell the story. What is the story? And, um, you know, how can, how can we make this accessible so that, so that people understand. Now, now for those of you, uh, uh, like the podcasters, who are rushing to take notes, you know, uh, I did write a book. It's called How to Be a Disney Historian, and you can find this one on Amazon, and it'll only cost you about 15 bucks. And half of the book is, is you know, uh, some of the advice that I've been, I've been giving here, as long as, as as well as other advice, like, you know, read everything, you know, uh, 
uh, don't be limited to just Disney because sometimes you're, you're going to want the other perspective. But what I did is I went to the top Disney uh, historians. They're all my uh, uh, friends. I am very proud uh, to t- say. And so I got 16 of them, including Dave Smith. But, uh, but people like uh, uh, Michael Barrier and Jerry Beck and Jeff Curdy and uh, uh, Didier Getz and uh, Brian Sibley and uh, Werner Weiss. And uh, basically um, what I did is I found people who were experts in animation, people who were experts in comic books, people who were experts in um, uh, the parks, people who were experts on, in, in Walt. And uh, I asked each of them, you know, write a 1,000 to 3,000 words about what advice would you give to somebody who wants to be a Disney historian? How should they handle an interview? You know, where should they begin with, with their um, uh, uh, research? And uh, in, in the back of the book, I have several pages of uh, core books. You know, uh, we, we've been talking about some of them on the program here, uh, several pages of core books. Uh, there's a whole section on uh, magazines, you know, um, you know, there's a ton of websites out there. One of the reasons I like books is that websites and even podcasts tend to disappear, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, some of the earliest uh, websites like uh, Lampwick, uh, Lampwick's Guide to Disney, which I, I thought, oh, this, this is in, incredible. But that, that was back in the 90s, you know, it, and it's gone now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you, you can go to uh, – there's a uh, – um, I, and I listed in the book, there, there's a website, wayback.com or whatever, where you can go back and sometimes get little snapshots of uh, Internet pages that don't exist anymore. But you need to know, again, what you're looking for. Um, so if you want to find your Tell us how to find your book. So, so, so if a person wanted to go... Oh, and, yeah, yeah, and, you can find all of my books. I have written 25 of them right now. And I'm working on another one. In fact, doing this podcast, I'm playing hooky. Uh, but if you go to Amazon.com or ThemeParkPress.com, uh, and especially if you go to ThemeParkPress.com, you'll you'll immediately see you know the most recent books, and any, and you'll see books by other authors as well too that you may be uh, uh, interested in. And again, it's it's Jim Corcus, K-O-R-K-I-S which is a Greek word which means horse slayer, which I don't do anymore. <laughs> actually, it, it was something, <laughs> actually, it was something like Corcosopolis or whatever. And, you know, when, when the first, uh, first Corcus came from, uh, from Greece, uh, you know, and settled in, uh, in uh, New York, in fact, my, uh, my grandfather uh, was Jimmy Corcus, and he ran a, a diner. In uh, New York, just like uh, uh, the John Belushi sketch on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and uh, you know, if if he hadn't uh, uh, passed away and and all of that, I, I might never have been a Disney historian. I might have been behind the counter in New York today saying cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger Pepsi, cheeseburger. <laughs> you know, uh, with that. So um, I, again, I also try to put an awful lot of stuff in the book so that it's it's value so you feel when you you know open that book that even if you weren't interested in that subject you go this guy did his homework you know mm-hmm. and and a couple of these stories are 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 uh, you know uh pretty interesting you know and and these are not necessarily stories that uh you know you'll find any anywhere else like, like the story of mickey mouse killing king kong you know uh, to me, it, it seems like common knowledge, but other people go, what? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I love the original King Kong movie, 1933, and uh, Marion C. Cooper, who produced that, was actually talking with Walt uh, about um, doing an animated feature on um, Babes in Toyland, before Snow White, even. Okay. you know. But, but RKO uh, uh, deep-sixed that, because... Uh, 
and then they did a, a live action version, Hal Roach uh, uh, did, and they had a, a live Mickey Mouse in there, which was actually with Laurel and Hardy, and the Mickey Mouse was a, a Capucine uh, uh, monkey dressed up in a Mickey Mouse costume and a Mickey Mouse mask, and he was. But that's a whole another story. Anyway, to film King Kong, they wanted to get some live action film of you know uh, planes circling around Empire State Building. Right, so they went to a uh, local airfield, and uh, they said they would donate, you know, X amount of money to their, you know, to their officers' mess or whatever if the planes went up for about twenty minutes, you know, whatever, and just you know flew around and 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 then did this. And so they said yes, this airfield had an unofficial insignia on the side of each plane. It was Mickey Mouse no way. riding on a goose holding a bomb and a trident. And it, it's not approved by Disney. You know, oftentimes, you know, military will just do up their own little emblems and, and, and all of that, you know. Uh, and so it's on the side of the plane. When you watch the movie, there are 28 scenes where you see the side of the plane with Mickey Mouse on it. Oh, wow. Mickey Mouse killed King wow. Kong. So at the end of the movie, well, I guess the planes got him, Denim. No, it wasn't the planes. It was Beauty killed it. No, it was Mickey Mouse killed the beast. That's an awesome you know? Yeah. That's fabulous. And, and, and so, you know, it never occurred to anybody. You know? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, Adolf Hitler loved Mickey Mouse. You know, uh, uh, Joseph Goebbels... Uh, uh, you know, uh, one Christmas gave him 18 Mickey Mouse cartoons because uh, the previous July, uh, Adolf Hitler had, had watched seven Mickey Mouse cartoons and was just convulsed with 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 laughter. You know, and so yeah, so so to me, this is common knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and so w- when I write books like More Secret Stories of Disneyland and Extra Secret Stories of Walt Disney World, I go, well, I know this stuff, and then I realize. Well, maybe not everybody knows these stories, you know. And 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 again, stories take on a life of their own. You have to share them, you know. And in fact, the history of the Disney Company has always been an oral history. Even back um, when they were doing animation, you know, it was if somebody came and said, "Well, I want to know about Steamboat Willie," they'd say, "Oh, well, go talk to Ub Iwerks and Special Processes. He worked on that. He he he." he probably answer and the same thing with disneyland you know they're so rushed to build disneyland that there's no time to go well there's this and da 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 you know uh there were cables and uncompleted things that were just buried at disneyland because there wasn't enough time Mm -hmm. to get to them you know so um it's important to get this stuff down before you know it's lost and and i and i feel a real um obligation uh to imagineers and animators and all that i talked with you know who are no longer with us no longer here to tell their stories but they told the story to me you know and so i feel i'm obligated to tell their story get that story out there and and before we started recording we were talking about the fact that i just finished a uh uh, interview with uh, eddie soto and one of the things he talked about Excuse me. One of the things he talked about was um, talking with Dave Bradley, and and again, that, that's a name that many people won't know. But Dave Bradley ran a little celebrity uh, kitty park called Beverly Park on Beverly Drive and La Cienega, and in fact, Walt would take his daughters there. Uh, you know, he didn't just take them to Griffith Park; he took them to other places. He took them to Knott's Berry Farm and, and things like that. He was watching everything. And, you know, uh, he, he tried to talk to Dave Bradley because Walt was curious about everything. And, you know, well, what about this and what about the – and if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And Bradley looked at him and said, I'm never going to have all the money in the world, so it's not <laughs> worth my time to think. Well, Walt brought him on as a uh, consultant of uh, Disneyland, Disneyland 1955. And I had never heard this story before, but Eddie Soto had worked with Bradley. And he said, yeah, uh, uh, 
what Walt wanted was he wanted Casey Jr. to be able to talk to the guests. So Casey Jr. would look and, and go, well, happy birthday, Jimmy. And Bradley says, I told him it was the worst idea in the world. And Walt blew up. You know, Walt had a temper. Walt was not a saint. Walt blew up. And, and Bradley said, look, if you have the train say, happy birthday, Jimmy, every single parent in line is going to want that train to talk to their kid. And none of them are going to get on the train, so you can't <laughs> run it on a consistent basis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and, and so Walt goes, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But, but even back then in 1955, Walt was thinking of, you know, how can I make these things interactive? And again, that's the frustration as well as the joy of being a Disney historian is there's always something more to learn. You know, we think that, that history is, is solid. You know, well, what's happened in the past has happened in, in the past. And, and you can't change anything in the past because it will affect the, the future. The past is actually pretty fluid, you know. Uh, there were things that happened in the past that we don't know. <laughs> and once we know them, suddenly it makes these connections to these other things, and then you get the bigger picture. And everyone's now, perspective is different, so it's important to learn from every perspective. Right. And, and you know, sometimes I get um, uh, criticized, and they said, well, you're ruining the magic. You know, you're ruining the magic by doing this. And I said... I'm not forcing anybody to listen to these stories or buy my books, you know. Uh, but for those who do, I think it enhances the magic. You know, one of the things I was excited about as a kid was every Sunday night watching the weekly Disney TV show, especially the episodes devoted to how animation was done, because I wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to be an animator. And, and how did they build the haunted house? How did a uh, haunted mansion? How did they build the haunted mansion? And it was those shows that convinced me that, well, gosh, that door may be open for me. You know, maybe, you know, if I do this and this and that and, and go in, I can do that. And in, if you want to be an Imagineer, it's not just sitting in a room all day long coming up with wonderful ideas. Remember that Imagineer has the term engineer in it. And so one of the things that you have to... Uh, take into account is what can we do with the budget? What can we do with the deadline? You know, how is this going to increase capacity, you know, uh, at the park? Are there things that are already existing out there that we can take and then modify? You, you know, the roller coaster at uh, Toy Story Land that just opened, that's a standard roller coaster, you know. But, but again, it's now modified, and it's modified to 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 tell a story, you know, but but you go through that. You, you know, how are you going to exit people out of an attraction when it breaks down? Some of you may have had that experience. You know, uh, when um, uh, the Snow White uh, attraction, Snow White's Scary Adventures opened uh, at Disneyland in, in 1955. They were doing a, a test on it, and Walt asked... Um, uh, I, I think it was uh, Admiral Joe uh, uh, Fowler, and he says, well, how, do, how did you like the ride? And Fowler says, well, it's fine if, if you want to change the ride's name to Snow White's Visit to Hell. <laughs> and Walt goes, what? There was no air conditioning in the building. Oh, no. So, you know, and it's a, a self-contained building, so the heat would start to build up. So as an Imagineer, you have to worry about that. You have to worry about environmental concerns and all that. And again, every Imagineer that I talked have talked with have come to Imagineering from different ways, but all of them have had experience in different things. Mm -hmm. And so they bring that with them um, uh, as, that, uh, as that works. And, and people forget how many Imagineers there have been, you know, over the over the years for, for that to happen. And again, remember, it's not just Imagineering. A lot of the Imagineers who got laid off or left the company are now working for uh, Universal Creative, which is Universal Studios' version of, of Imagineering. Mm -hmm. and, and some, like Bob Rogers and all, have, have started their own companies. So, you know, if that is your passion, if that is your dream, 
you know, there are some opportunities out there, but you've got to prepare yourself, you know, and everything that's happening in your life right now is preparing yourself, you know, for that uh, uh, opportunity. Remember that you are not um, defined by your past. You're being prepared by your past. And so, uh, uh, for instance, I had a background as an actor. I had a background as a cartoonist. I had a background. And so that gave me, you know, a, a, a different perspective. It also gave me a, a, a different understanding when I saw, you know, uh, certain things, you know, in Disney history. Oh, well, okay, that makes sense because da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, Wally Bogue, you know, developed it this way because in vaudeville, he probably knew this worked and this worked, and so that's why that went there. So, um, but again, being a Disney historian, you've got to have a passion for it. Basically, you take a look and you go, what am I interested in, and nobody else has written it, mm-hmm. you know? Or what has somebody written about, but I can find a different perspective for it. Gee. And again, the, the important thing is share that information with others so that we can see that and then go, Okay, you know, let's use that. You, you know what? Everything that you said is just just awesome. I had one last question, and I apologize. Sure. We've taken up so much of your time. I have no. one last question. So you mentioned to me that when you first started writing, uh, um, and I didn't write her name down, but a woman at Epcot, I thought her name was Kay. Uh, Kay Bundy. Kay Bundy. K-A-Y-E-B-U-N-D-E-Y. She's, she's now working over in... Uh, uh, creative costuming, but she was the head of Disney Adult Discoveries, and she was the one who was in charge of all of those tours. She had come from Disney University, and in fact, Kay is the one who who coined the term um, Disney Arca theming, okay. which which uh, later became uh, you know theme architecture and all of that, but uh, came up with theme Arca theming, and she was the one who insisted make sure you have three independent sources and that's my you know question. E- even if you're talking to the person who was there even the person who did it you know they may not have seen the whole picture what do you, what do other you do, people may have been involved what do you do jim if you have a piece though and you can't find three independent resources for a snippet let's say it's something that well, well you, 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 do, you, you, do the, you do the best you can and mm-hmm. then you have to decide well i'm not going to share that or I'm going to share that, but I'm going to put in a modifier. Supposedly, ah, reportedly, okay. gotcha. According to Disney legend, you know, because I, was... uh, you know, so you put in a mod. And, and Kay was also the person who said, "Jim, don't say this is 83 feet high. Say it's roughly 83 feet high. Gotcha. It's approximately 83 feet high." She because she says because you're going to run into that one person who goes well I know it's eighty three point one two feet high. Gotcha. Okay. You know because I was so, thinking so, you're, you're getting the story about the corn in Iowa and that's thirty years so we're going to find resources and sources for that. But let's say you did something that was sixty years old and all of a sudden you found your candidate pool was nothing but you did find one great snippet of information and it was worth sharing. And it would seem to be a shame to not at least release that with some kind of precursor well, and or then, a footnote then, on that. Then you identify it, and yeah. you say, in the Glendale News Press, mm-hmm. for, you know, uh, whatever 60 years ago is now, you know, uh, in the issue da-da-da, it said, you know, <coughs> yeah. or uh, re- reporter Bob Thomas said, and, and so, because, again, you don't want to be misleading you know, and again, it, it, it's hard when, especially with these people, you know, dying off or, as I said, you know, documentation was not uh, kept. And, and the sad thing, too, was when um, Michael Eisner came on board, he decided that every single department should show a 20% growth every year over five years. So, yes, you could do 15% growth in, in one year, but that means you needed to do 25 the next year. Now, how do you do growth if you're not a revenue-generating uh, division, like uh, uh, maintenance, janitorial? You cut staff. Mm. You cut days when, you know, uh, so instead of every day, now it's every other day. 
the same thing impacted places like Imagineering. They had to show that growth. So how did they do that? They shredded material that they kept in storage because it saves uh, storage cost, gotcha. insurance. And, and so I saw them literally shred things uh, for projects like Mount Fuji in Japan, which was going to be like a Matterhorn uh, uh, ride. I saw them because it's like, well, these things don't exist. So, you know, why? And for attractions that did exist, it was like, what do we need to save that's important? Usually it was paint chips. This is the color. So if we ever need to repaint this attraction, this is what the color was. Mm -hmm. But we don't need to save the story of, well, this is here, and when you go through this, this is what happens here. And again, be very careful, uh, because Disney cast members want you to be happy. So when you ask them a question, oftentimes they will tell you anything at all. You know, I, I'm sure all of us have had experiences where we've been on a bus uh, on Walt Disney World property or, or on a boat, and uh, the driver is trying to be entertaining and sharing stuff with us. And I spent... I. I spend half of my time not just writing about Disney history, but trying to debunk yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> some, some of these other stories because the people who are telling them are sincere. They believe they're true. But there is no central location uh, for them to confirm that. That's why, even though there isn't a Disney historian at, at uh, Walt Disney World, there needs to be one. Because uh, here, here's, here's another thing you can do. Uh, I was working on a project. I wanted to know how long Main Street USA is at Walt Disney World. That seems like a pretty simple question, right? Okay. I went to guest relations. I went through five different people, and I said, well, can't you just call like Imagineering? If we call Imagineering, they charge us 100 to $200 an hour or every portion thereof, and they won't guarantee an answer. Wow. And and you're the only person who has ever asked this. So those of you who want to be a Disney historian, how long is Main Street USA? And 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 so what what and again, now you're going to have to determine because when I wrote the trading cards for the anniversary of Walt Disney World, I found three different official heights for Cinderella's castle. Three official. Wow. Different and because some were measuring from the utilidor, yeah. some were measuring from the ground, some were measuring from that entrance. You know, when you go up those archways up there to the entrance? Yeah. So as far as Disney was concerned, there were three official heights. I was just thinking while you were saying that, Pete, looks like you and I are going to go with our tape measurers, but then all of a sudden <laughs> I thought, where do we start? I got to get one of them wheels. Where do we start? Where do we end? Sometimes you can use a Google, Google overview. Sometimes you, you could put one of those little um, uh, you know, uh, devices that measure how many steps you take or yeah. whatever, but are you doing it from the train station yeah. to the partner statue, or are you doing it from where the Emporium starts? To, to where, you know, Casey's uh, uh, corner is. Mm -hmm. You know, here's, a, here's, here's two other things you can do as a Disney historian. Because, again, people take this for granted, and they take for granted that this is going to be there forever. All of us get a great laugh out of, you know, over there by Indiana Jones, uh, you know, uh, at the side there, you've got that well, and there's the rope that says, don't pull the, the rope, and you mm -hmm. pull the rope, and what happens? You hear the archaeologist in the well, and it, it sounds British to me, say something, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, having him say the same thing over and over and over is going to drive you, you know, you, you lose. So Disney has a loop of different responses. Look on the Internet. There is no one who has taken the time to record what are those different responses? Wow. And no one who has recorded the ones that happen out at Disneyland to see if those are the same or not. Um, in, um, in, in, in the uh, uh, Mouse Gear, the big store at, at Epcot, if you look up, 
you'll see silhouettes of Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck and Huey, Dewey, and Louie and Gyro uh, uh, Gearloose. Every now and then, they talk and say something. Nobody has written that down. Wow. So, and again, that's not always going to be there. So those are things you can do, and you don't have to know an Imagineer. You don't have to have a massive library. There are things that are happening out there that you can record right now that is going to make life happier, or or people have that little gosh wow, or oh this is great, you know, uh, reaction, and you can do it. But it takes time. In um, uh, Tomorrowland at um, uh, uh, Rocket Tower Plaza, you know, by by the People Mover, there's a phone. And you pick up the phone, and you punch in a couple of numbers, and you hear a response. You hear Sunny Eclipse's agent. You hang it up, and you pick it up, and you punch in again, and and it, it's uh, uh, Rocket Pizza. Nobody has written down all of those things. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you're rushing to your fast pass. You're rushing to your... Uh, 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 reservation uh, to eat, you know, you're, you're battling with your kids, you're battling with your parents, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and all of this is going to be lost. Eventually, yeah. Well, you know what, Jimmy? Unless you do something about it. You are... So, uh, <laughs> again, there's no uh, certificate for being a, a, a Disney historian or membership card or whatever, but right now, the guy who coined the term, I'm anointing all of you. There are some things you can go out there and find, you know, and and, and it's easy to find. And, and well, it's not easy to find. It's going to take you time. I know of at least three. Some thought. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, I hope that some of you have uh, uh, listening have enjoyed this. I hope it's inspired a, a, a couple of you. A, a, as I said, pick up the book How to Be a Disney uh, uh, Historian at Amazon.com or ThemeParkPress.com. Pick up my, my latest books, More Secret Stories of uh, Disneyland and Extra Secret Stories of Walt Disney World, because uh, then you can see, okay, how does Jim format this? Usually he uses quotes. He'll mm-hmm. use a statistic. Uh, he'll explain something. You know, he'll explain that the... The smellitizer actually comes from the military term uh, howitzer because it it's a cannon. It, it sends out scents for 200 feet. And actually it was developed by an Imagineer who worked with Michael Todd. Now, Michael Todd was a filmmaker, and one of the things he developed was smellovision. So while you were watching a movie, smell would come in. But they found that you couldn't exhaust the smell out of the theater or, or that one smell would, you know, Overnight. overwhelm another smell. But Disney developed, the guy who worked with Michael Todd developed it because on an attraction, it's, and you're through it, and you're gone. Mm. And it's only that one smell, the smell of oranges or whatever, you know, and yeah. that's it. And and so again, I I hope you guys have had uh, uh, fun, uh, and I always have fun uh, being on here with with this uh, podcasting uh, gang. Even though they lock me in the dungeon, yeah, get back in the dungeon, Jim. Uh, get back it, in the dungeon. Would you? They, they, you know, and and chocolate. I like seized chocolate. I can't get seized chocolate out here in Florida, um, and it's not the same ordering it through the the mail because I can't hand pick, you know, and get my free sample. But uh, I always enjoy talking with people who are passionate about Disney, uh, who want to keep the Disney spirit on. And uh, as I tell people, you can always separate uh, the Disney brand from the Disney business. The Disney brand is that pixie dust. It's the characters. It's how you feel when you're you're in the park, you know, it, or, or watching one of the movies or whatever. You know, the Disney business operates exactly like a business, mm-hmm. you know, and money makes a difference. So you can love the Disney brand but still have some concerns about the decision the Disney business is making. 
and uh, you can live happily ever after, and uh, may all your Disney dreams come true. Awesome, Jim. Love it. Again, themeparkpress.com, or you can go to Amazon. Jim Corcus has got some great books, and if you're looking for the first book that I have from Jim's library, and I have five books right now, uh, I have The Vault of Walt, Volume 1, Volume 2, and I know you go all the way through 6 right now, right, Jim? That's up to 6. Right, and, and I'm working on another edition, but it'll take a while. <laughs> but, but, uh, I think I have two years right now, Chris. Oh, you have, you, do you have them right now, Pete? Did I borrow them Yeah, I think I have a couple I of years. borrowed my foot. So, anyways, pick up The Vault well, of and, Walt, and Pete, 1 and 2. And just remember, I'm an orphan. Both mom and dad have passed away. <laughs> Disney laid me off. I'm, I'm, out here, I'm out here in Orlando, and it's hot. I'll you come know. visit. I'm going to be down there visiting you in about a week. And You're a half. awesome, Jim. We appreciate mm-hmm. you spending the time with us, buddy. And, Thank and you so I much. appreciate you guys asking me. Please don't hesitate to uh, to ask me again. Thank you, Jim. Excellent. Huge thanks again to Jim Corcus for joining us on this episode. Please check out his books on Theme Park Press and Amazon. Go and support him. And we hope that this has inspired you to become a Disney historian. I know that I have been very inspired by all of his awesome stories. So for Chris and Pete, this is Stacy. Have a great day, everyone. See ya. Bye, everybody.